This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, a business of intercessory prayer for businesses. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Today on Eternal Leadership, uh, we welcome Chris Bash. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And we got introduced by, I'm going to a little shout out here to John Lockhorse. He's been a longtime friend for both you and I, right, Steve? Yes, longtime listener, part of one of our mastermind groups, and it's just become a great friend, even though he's a Viking fan like you, John. <laughs> yes, because he, he ha- he's a quality individual, Steve. <laughs> Steve's a go Wisconsin fan. Yeah, go Badgers, whatever they are. Um, but you know what? It was interesting because uh, Steve and John and I, uh, Chris, were actually talking about you know, the workplace and the cultures and the huge challenge that we have. You know, I do a lot of executive and leadership coaching work with companies in just this, you know, the multi-generational, you know, uh, dynamic that we have right now and the turnover of millennials. And there are so many folks that are Gen Xers and baby boomers that just don't understand, you know, how to create a culture that is welcoming to across the generations. Because I really believe as a Gen Xer, it's a huge part of my responsibility to launch this next generation and create a leadership legacy. And a huge part of that is all about, I believe, you know, the culture that we create. And I don't think it's about changing our core principles, but I think it's a little bit about how do we deliver our principles and incorporate our principles in, in our culture in a way that um, is really welcoming, uh, it's equipping, it's empowering uh, to all the people. And so when we were talking about that, Chris, John says, hey, you know what, I was just part of um, a book launch and there's this amazing author and you've been a TEDx speaker and you're the CEO of your own company uh, called Choose People. And it's all about how do you, you know, significantly improve that, you know, that workplace culture. And John said, hey, you really need to have Chris on here. And you've had just a a great background and experience um, in business and in doing all kinds of different things. And so before we jump into, you know, culture and how to really affect and impact culture, Chris, I'd love to hear a little bit from you, just kind of your story, your journey and how this became such a passion for you. Um, yeah, the, so my journey is like most people's pretty zigzag, not direct. And, uh, prior to starting choose people, um, I did, well, let me back up even before that. So before I started choose people, I was running, um, a moving company of all things. And right before I was running the moving company, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, I had an extraordinary opportunity to work for a gentleman by the name of John Creighton who he had a consulting firm that was helping leaders and um, you know, public leaders really make progress, whether it was race relations, education, healthcare, um, and even US-Russia relations. And this was years ago under a very different context. And um, so it was out of that work that well, I that's quite to- the variety. It is quite the variety. <laughs> and it was really about how do you get people on board if you have 
right? There'd be these public leaders who were really clear about the change that they were wanting to make. And they'd be like, why, why aren't people getting on board? And so that was a lot of our work was to really uncover, well, why aren't they getting on board? What's the message piece that's missing? Um, or what is it that they don't know that they need to know to be able to make that progress? And again, amazing learning opportunity and before that, I worked at Hitachi Power Tools in Atlanta because, right, that fits in. Uh, but long story <laughs> short, at the moving company, I walked into this moving company, and it um, it was horrible from a culture standpoint. Like people were yelling obscenities at each other, so and not that like the moving company after having worked with uh, your friend, this consulting and, firm, and being mentored, mm-hmm. and you've seen some extraordinary cultures, and you're walking in going, oh boy. Right. And keep in mind, this is back in 2003 before culture was even culture wasn't really a word that people were using. Um, And when I came into the the moving company, again, people were yelling obscenities at each other. And as I say, not in that like, yo, yo, we're tight way, but in that like, I'm going to take you out back and it's not going to be pretty way. And um, we were also struggling to cover payroll. And it was one of those things we didn't have time. We didn't have money. And I just said, okay, I got to get this figured out. And long story short, um, reached out to mentors, read books, like just was trying to find answers and uh, got, okay, I got really clear. I was like, okay, there's kind of this business triangle. And I realized I'm drawing with my hands, which doesn't help your listeners. But at the top of the triangle, (laughs) you've got money, right? You've got the financial health of your organization, which if your organization isn't financially healthy, you don't have an organization. It's really, really challenging. Um, but you and I both know you can have your spreadsheet and you can be all focused on the numbers, but the numbers don't create the numbers, right? The people do. Right. So then it's like, oh, it's all about customer, um, customer satisfaction, customer service, repeat referral, word of mouth, all those different pieces. But it's like, okay, who at the end of the day is taking the piano at the switchback staircase? My crew guys, right? So they're the ones who create the customer experience. And so if I focus on the employee experience, I didn't call it culture at that time. But I was like, if my employees feel good about coming to work, they're going to take good care of my customers, who in turn are going to take care of the financial health of the company. And uh, again, we we were in the red. It was not pretty. And within a year, focusing on the employee experience, we got to where we had 40% 40% less turnover than the industry average and a bottom line twice that same average. And I was like, holy mackerel, like why aren't more people focusing on this aspect of employee experience? Because it's not about throwing money at people. It's not about throwing perks or benefits, but it really is creating an emotionally healthy workplace environment where people want to come to work. They're looking and not right. Like we all look forward to the weekend, not saying that, but where overall they've feel good about coming to work. And so ran the moving company for quite a few years and decided, okay, how do I apply this knowledge, you know, to organizations of different sizes, different backgrounds, blue collar, white collar, um, across the United States. And I had the opportunity to then work with the industrial organizational psychology department at Colorado State University to really find out how do you measure, do your employees feel comfortable? feel good about coming to work. And so did over a thousand hours of research in 2009 and opened the doors to uh, choose people in 2010. And that um, diagnostic that we created that has, right, there's eight factors that that go into having your employees feel good about coming to work. 
that we measure as kind of the first step in our culture audit process when we work with organizations. So, now, but that's, and, and if you go back yeah. to, cause, um, you know, I, I love the book drive by Daniel Pink. Oh, you, love it. Right. Mm-hmm. But human motivation, which is contrary to what a lot of us have been taught in business school is not mov- motivated by financial incentive or a paycheck. And that's pretty counterintuitive to a lot of what we've been taught. And I'm just curious. So you're, you're at the moving company. Um, and you know, in, in they're, they're not happy and you're a woman coming in as the CEO, you know, what did you do? Cause I think that probably created a unique, unique dynamic in that environment. I'm guessing, um, you know, what were, what did you do to start making those small changes? I'm really curious. You know, one of the very, very first pieces that I did, um, is there was, So imagine you're running a moving company and you have to get crews out in the morning and you have a dispatcher and you've got multiple jobs. And so you have multiple crews and they've worked really hard to put the right people together to go out on the job. You know, the person who can drive, the person who knows how to pack, the person who can interact well with the customer. And one of the guys decides that morning that, you know what, he's just not feeling it. And um, he doesn't show up. And not only does he not show up, he doesn't call. And so this is an epidemic that, that they had in that company where there was these constant, what they would call no call, no shows. And from the very beginning, I was like, listen, if you no call, no show, you don't get to work here. Like, that's just not an option. Like there's no respect in that. And there's no courtesy for your fellow team members, nor for our clients, nor for the company. Like that doesn't work. Like one of the very first things we have to instill is you have to be count honorable. And that's when I talk about accountability, that's why I talk about is being count honorable because I mean, you guys know you've done this work. If you go to a team and say, we need more accountability, like no one gets behind you. It's like, yes, that's what we need. Yes, like, hold no, me nobody, accountable. I'm in. Sweet. Sign me up. <laughs> and part of the reason, right? No one says that. Part of the reason, if you go to thesaurus, hold accountable. Mm-hmm. Literally, go to thesaurus.com, hold accountable. And the very first thing that shows up is to place blame for wrongdoing. So if you're saying we need more accountability, you're saying we need to place more blame for wrongdoing. Like that's what the team hears. They're like, no. So, so that's why I really like to shift it. Like, okay, you have to be count honorable. Like that is just, that is the bare minimum of what's required to be here because not just anyone gets to work here and you start creating that shared sense of identity and pride that like, no, we don't just, not just anyone gets to work here. You have to be at a level of excellence to get to play. And, um, it was interesting because some of my some of the most uh, skilled movers that we had at the time were like, yeah, whatever, boss lady, let's see how this goes. I was like, yeah, you don't get to work here anymore. And that's right. That's where you really have to stand on your values and your principles that right. If someone tries to push on it, you say, I don't I don't care how amazing you are. I don't care how much you've made it rain. Like you don't get to work here if you can't you know, honor some of the basic principles of what it means to, to be a part of this conscious community that has been brought together to fulfill on a shared purpose. But you right? know, I, that's, I, you that's know you're highlighting a really important, you know, concept there though. And it's about being in agreement, you know, and as a, you know, whether it's uh, in a family parenting teenagers or running a company, if I'm in it, you know, if I let the people know, here's the agreement that we have, Right. If, mm-hmm. if you no call, no show or if you do this, this is the consequence. Are we all agreed on that? Well, they might believe it or not. But as soon as now they have chosen to no call, no show, 
Here is now the consequence. They actually just chose to be separated from the organization. So you're not even firing them. They just chose to fire themselves or they just chose to have whatever that consequence was. And I think it's so important for in business not to have expectations, but to have clear agreements. And we know what the positive and the negative are of that agreement is because that helps us, you know, um, develop people and keep, you know, we want to keep, we have, you know, what we call lean inners, these people that are, you know, want to be really part of that, you know, the count honorable and the work ethic and the esprit de corps. And we have the kind of these lean outers that are like, whatever, right? We want to move those lean outers in, or we want to move them out of the organization. And that is just a great, what you just described is a great way to be able to do that, but it's by being in agreement. So I just wanted to kind of put an exclamation point on what you just said, because I love that. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And I would, I would, the other thing I would add is I did acknowledge, I said, listen, for all of you who have no called and no showed up until this point, I don't have a negative opinion of you. It was permitted. It was allowed, right? That's right. It was considered okay. And why I'm letting you know that as of today, it's not. So there's a piece where you can't, right, you can't hold against people things that you've permitted. And you, as a, right, as a leader, you have to own what you have allowed. That doesn't mean you can't create like a new beginning, but you can't hold against people the things that you've allowed. So I think that's the other piece that's really key. Um, that's, so that was another piece that I did at the time as well, just to start getting it turned around. Now, you know, you know, some of those people, those super high performing, you know, those technically skilled people and moving in, in a lot of other organizations, though. And a lot of times people in leadership are afraid to let those go. The people that are kind of the, the divas, so to speak, sometimes mm. can drive the culture because we're mm-hmm. allowing or we're making exceptions for some people that maybe they're maybe they, it's my best sales rep. Maybe mm-hmm. it's my best, you know, warehouse manager. Um, right. and I'm scared to death, maybe as a leader to let them go, but you made those decisions to do that. And what advice do you have for folks that have some of those kind of people in that culture that they're working with? It costs you way more to keep that person from a culture standpoint and the loss of productivity, morale, and commitment from your other people. Because when that exception speaks louder than any words you could ever possibly say. And so when you say that that behavior is okay and that I'm going to allow that person to be disrespectful to you and the team, people are like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if I go above and beyond. It doesn't matter if I slack because you know what? It's allowed to be rude or to not follow the principles. And so it costs you way more than whatever it is that that person brings in. I've had that happen multiple times where I've had CEOs say, oh, I'm over a barrel with this person, it's like, no. And, and actually, John, you brought this up, right? We have choice in the matter. Yep. We all have choice in the matter. You are, especially as the CEO, you do, no one can ever hold you over a barrel. That doesn't actually exist, right? That's a creation that you have made. And I don't care if they're your top salesperson, the cost of having the morale hit is enormous with the rest of your team. And that's the piece that you're not, right, that people don't see. They don't add it up. And they're literally our studies are like, this is how much it costs you. And I mean, that's a whole nother thing that I talk about is the return on investment of having happy employees and the cost of unhappy employees. And because, you know, there are people who think culture is, you know, part of it's intangible. They're not quite sure how to get their arms around it. 
And so there's this sense of, you know, oh, it's that fluffy rainbows and butterflies and unicorns, <laughs> kumbaya stuff. Like, who's going to really get behind that? Um, and it's one of those like, no, you don't get it. Like the, the, the financial cost of not having an extraordinary workplace culture is enormous. Um, so, for example, if you have an employee that's making $40,000 a year, if that employee is unhappy, at minimum, they will cost you an additional $39,000 a year. If that same employee is happy, they'll contribute an additional $21,000 um, to the bottom line. So it's a spread of about $60,000 or a 1.5 multiple of someone's salary. And that's conservative. And for anyone who ever hears this, I'm like, you better be asking me where those numbers came from, you know, so that you don't think I just pulled that out of my armpit. And I literally have like, you know, on choosepeople.com on our website, we have a calculator where you can put in, you know, what's the average pay that you pay? What's your... You know, on a scale of one to ten, how happy do you think your employees are? And it calculates it, but there's also a document that does that shows you that calculation and all the research that backs up those numbers. And as you can expect, right, you've got easier recruitment, you've got um, lower absenteeism, you've got higher uh, productivity, you've got higher customer satisfaction. But the number one number on there that I found shocking that I didn't know until I did all the research is that happy employees cause 26% fewer mistakes. 26%. You know, I was actually looking at that on your website. Yeah. That is, uh, and you know, and I want to highlight something too, because when I was first managing, uh, I was hired at a public company and Mm -hmm. I was running a division. We were doing 17 million in sales per quarter. Mm -hmm. So, and we were growing and I had one sales rep that was total diva. Uh, if, if that's the right word, but he was about 35% of our production every quarter and he was a bull in a China shop. And mm-hmm. what I realized was by, by putting up with that behavior, what was that telling to my other sales reps and, and the whole rest of the team? And I right. made a very hard to see, it was very hard for me at the time because I was new in this role and th- this was making my numbers look good, but to let that person go. And mm-hmm. so um, I actually went back and looked at this. Do you know the following quarter? He was, remember, a third of our production. Mm-hmm. Our, our net production went down 8%, our gross, but our net margin went up 16%. Wow. So once, we, once he was out of the culture, everybody started communicating better. Everybody started trusting people better. People started trusting me as a leader so much more thoroughly. Like everything up-leveled. And then the quarter after that, we blew out our numbers. And I, what oh, I thought was going so to, great. what I thought was the constraint was getting rid of somebody who's a high producer. What the constraint was actually me by putting up with that behavior because I was throttling everybody else because what I was putting up with. And right. so what you're saying, and I, I can see this because now fewer mistakes. So, uh, but I think that leads to this, right? Because that's a big deal, uh, especially you know a lot of my clients are financial services companies and manufacturers mm-hmm. uh what leads what lead I, I think i know but what do you think leads to the fewer mistakes so the fewer mistakes i don't think it's because those employees who are unhappy are out to get you like i don't think they come into work thinking that i'm going to make a mistake they just care less mm-hmm. right they just don't pay as much attention to the details because you know what they're just there to clock in it's not meaningful to them it doesn't matter and i think the other piece that you just brought up john is that when you do let a toxic person stay on your team, they have lost credibility with the team a long time ago, but you as a leader lose that credibility 
with your team. And the other thing I would just say is, of course, if you have someone on your team who's toxic, first and foremost, do what you can to coach them, right? Yeah. Don't just like, if no one's ever talked to them directly and been like, dude, like you're kind of a jerk, right? The, the team really struggles to work with you because your behaviors that look like this, this, and this, and, and you may not necessarily say jerk, but you might say you're really hard to work with. And this is what that looks like. It's probably a blind spot for them. And again, it's been allowed, it's been permitted. And I always say you, when you're looking at your team, you're looking at both their character and their competency. And your best people rock on both of those fronts. But you might have someone who, again, their character, you just adore them. They're great. They're good people. They connect with the team, but they struggle to get the job done, right, or to get it done right. And then you're trying to coach them on the skill side. Well, you can also have someone who rocks on the skill side, but on the character side is struggling. And again, you can coach them on the character side. And of course, if you have someone who struggles with both, well, they're your as you call them, lean outers. So you're like, yeah, it's yeah, real. we got to move that. Like, well, you, and you know what? You're bringing <laughs> up, uh, you know, a great point too, because you know, a lot of those people that we have challenges with, um, if you really look and say, okay, have I really done, you know, what it takes to develop a relationship with them to understand, you know, who they are, what they're going through, maybe their life's a mess. You have no idea or what their experience has been in the past. Maybe they react to us in a certain way because. They've had a lot of pain associated with maybe somebody with my personality trait or characteristics in the past. And we have to take that time to connect to them. And, you know, something I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as a, you know, with the, the work you've done and the psychology. But it's kind of my assumption that, you know what, when I do something or I get upset or I'm short, I give myself the benefit of the doubt because I know my motive. Right. And I know my motivation. And I know that, you know, at the end of the day, I really think I have this great heart and you know, it's not a big deal. But if you are rude to me or I think you're short and snappy, I assign a motive to that, mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden now I start taking these facts and I start creating this narrative that could be completely false. But mm -hmm. also if this is something you're doing consistently, you might not even be aware that this is showing up with us. And like you said, I read an article that, you know, we have an average of about 3.4 blind spots, uh, mm. Right. We don't even know. So I might, you know, constantly doing something that's really bothering my my partner here, Steve, and it's really bothering him. And I have and I'm completely clueless. And until right. Steve sits down with me, hey, John, I might be wrong, but I got to tell you, when you do this and this and this, this is how it comes across. And it's really affecting the fact that I even want to work with you. That conversation right. hasn't happened, you know, Steve. Actually, Listen, John, there two. is a couple things that I do want to talk <laughs> about. But. but you know, it's just having going to people, valuing the relationship and having conversations like this, that is sometimes right. the biggest way to fix those toxic people. But then if I'm in agreement of also some of the consequences of continued behavior, and that consequence could be moving somebody out of the organization. Now, you know, now we're starting to put some things in place that can really start to turn things around, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. So what you just described is what I would call kind, candid, and constructive communication, Yeah. right? Because as a consultant, you use alliteration to remember things. Um, and it's, I do a whole training, you know, how to communicate in funky town, what to say and how to say it, because people are terrified. They're absolutely terrified to go and talk to people directly about the concerns that they have. And, and you know, it's funny when I do that training, I give all the myriad of reasons that we give ourselves for why we won't have that direct conversation with that other person. And 
I would really suggest at the end of the day, it's our fear that the other person won't like us. If we bring this up to them, they won't like us because we've spoken to them. But if you create a culture in which there's an expectation of like, listen, we're not doing triangulation. Don't come talk to me about this other person um, because we're not participating in gossip because that's ultimately, and there's, there's more levels to that. How do you define gossip, Chris? How do I define gossip when two people talk about another person in a way that um, is not, you know, is not flattering? Yeah, and and right? the way, in the and, way and I it never it. gets to that other person, right? It's one thing if you come to me and say I'm really struggling with Joe, um, I'm not sure how to bring it up to him. Can you help me think through how to talk to him directly? That's one. That's that's different. That's where you're genuinely using someone as a soundboard. But if you go to someone to vent, get something off your chest. Um, that's gossip. Yeah, I mean, we, it really uh, is. I, I agree. It's uh, we, we define it as talking negatively about somebody else who's not part of the problem or the solution. Perfect. Right, and mm-hmm. you know what? If you can have something in place um, in your culture that you can change a culture around by stopping gossip. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think gossip creates about uh, eight to ten hours of lost productivity per person per week in a culture that's pervasive with gossip because it creates so many yeah. rumors and so many problems, so many fires to put out. It's mm-hmm. one of the first places I look at and start in a culture is you know we, we first of all let's let's put some some things in place here to stop this and have people aware of it because if you come to me to talk about Steve because you're mad. And if right. I said to you, hey, Chris, have you had this conversation with Steve? And, and do you mm-hmm. need me to help you with that conversation? No, I'm just ticked off. Well, I tell you what, why don't you go have that conversation with Steve? And then if that doesn't you know, resolve the issue, then let me know how I can help. But if that, if that starts to happen in a culture, overnight mm-hmm. you can have a different place to work. Well, and I would add, you and I are totally in alignment. The other thing I would add is if you are the manager or the supervisor, you're following up with... I forgot the names that you used, but you're following up with the person and saying, how did that conversation go? Mm, right. Point. Cause you you can tell people to go have that conversation. It doesn't mean that they will. And one of the things I'll say, I think one of the biggest traps is people will say, well, I don't want to hurt his or her feelings. Mm. And I think there can be some truth in that. They're, they're nervous about that. And yet I always say that's really unkind niceness because while you're worried about not hurting their feelings, your work relationship is deteriorating and they have no opportunity to respond, own, apologize, acknowledge, speak to intention, right? And it's, so it's unkind, especially if their credibility is deteriorating with other people on the team, possibly for, again, the same reason because of a blind spot. And one of the examples I give um, is that um, I literally know of a team where a gentleman got fired because he smelled and no one, no one ever told him that, that he was really hard to be around because he really stank. And it was one of those where it's like, we don't want to hurt his feelings. And so we don't want to hurt his feelings. So we'll fire him. I know. How do you feel now? And he never, ever knew. He never knew why he never Mm. really ever. So right. He goes to the next job and it's, it's brutal. And it's amazing how, People can leave, you know, be fired from a job and never truly know the real reason why they were let go because people won't be straight with someone and be like, you know, and it's because I care about you that I'm bringing this to your attention because I want us to have a better working relationship. And I see the impact that has on our relationships. I don't know if it impacts others. I can speak for myself, right? There's that piece. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
a really high functioning team, it's not just the manager, the supervisor who's being a stand for the success of that team member. Team members are also a stand for one another's success and appreciate, right? There's an appreciation of like, wow, that took a lot of courage for you to bring that to me. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm trying it on. It may not resonate quite yet. I need to sit with it for a day and make sure my conflict style doesn't show up, you know, where I get defensive or I shut down. So let me sit with it. But I appreciate your, the courage that it took to, to bring that to my attention. So that's when you've got, when it's between team members, it's not just manager or supervisor to team member. You know, what would you, you know, you called it freedom from funky town in this, in this huge reluctance to have, you know, some of these conversations. What do you Mm -hmm. think the reason is that there's so many people that would love to, you know, say something to somebody to, you know, to share something that's either bothering them, but do it in a way that builds a relationship um, instead of creating maybe what they perceive as, you know, fostering conflict or uh, I don't want to be perceived differently or have you not like me because I shared something, you know, what, what do you think's behind all that? And how do we equip people to start doing this in a way that, that is, uh, you know, positive? Well, again, I really think the core reason why people don't go to one another directly, there's two reasons. One is simply, like I said, I think we're afraid we're not going to be liked. That person won't like us. And as human beings, we really like to be liked. We're social creatures. Mm-hmm. We're, um, you know, we go around in our little tribes. And it's one of those we're really nervous that it could hurt the relationship rather than help it. Um, the other piece is righteousness. We really like to be right. <laughs> right? So if I go to talk to someone else and get validation for my reasoning on why I'm more right than this other person... The other thing about gossip, right, is it's one of the quickest and easiest ways to emotional intimacy. So now you and I are more connected um, because we're superior and better than whoever we've just talked about. So that's the other reason why gossip is so rampant. And one of the things I talk about with workplace culture is that the most important, like, so there's a foundational, there's a bunch of foundational pieces you have to have to have a really good workplace culture. To have an extraordinary workplace culture, you do have to have that emotional intimacy that's real deal and not, right, not the empty uh, gossip piece, if you will. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of what I talk about is how do you create that emotional intimacy in the workplace? Yeah, and I love that. So emotional intimacy, what what do you mean when you say that in a workplace? So for me, it really is that um, sense of camaraderie, connection, caring, having each other's backs, where we can be really direct with one another about concerns rather than having to feel like we have to pat it and we're walking on eggshells. Um, of course, you're going to have things like trust is core to all that, right? Respect is core to all that. Um, but it's kind of that, it's that... I. For me, it almost feels um, there's like a magical camaraderie be- with you and your team members and you're in alignment. And if someone's getting out, you know, they're like, hey, come back in. Right. Like there's that there's this whole effort to, to again, really witness and support one another. And so, you know, is, is as you're describing that and people are listening, mm-hmm. saying, OK, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. right? What, how do you take a team that you work with and move them toward Mm -hmm. that? What are some of the like takeaways the listeners could start to think about? Right. So, um, and again, keep in mind that you have to have foundational, all the foundational pieces in place before you jump to emotional intimacy. So what are the foundational pieces? 
Right. So foundational pieces, for example, um, so you do want to have some things like transparency with your team. You want to have the trust. You want to have the respect. But the relationships between supervisors and coworkers should be fairly healthy. It's one of those, I say, if I say on a scale of one to 10, how happy are your employees? Mm-hmm. If you're able to say um, seven or eight, then then you're probably at that foundation where you can then jump to the emotional intimacy piece. Because if I say, hey, everyone, like we're going to have more emotional intimacy and it's toxic, they're going to be like, yeah, good luck with that. Or you might have cleanup that you have to do between old school and new school, between different departments, between things that happened in the past. Um, Again, like if I had gone to the crew guys and said, okay, when there's no call, no shows and said, I'm going to write and I'm the new boss lady coming in. I'm like, we're going to create emotional intimacy. Like they, like I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be here today. <laughs> like Come on like, guys, yeah, let's hug know. it out. <laughs> yeah. Like we're getting rid of this lady. Um, we're going to put her in a moving truck and send her to, you know, Siberia or wherever it is. So, um, but let me, so let me answer cause I want to give your community some concrete pieces that they yeah. can walk away with. But the, the first thing I just want to say on the emotional intimacy side, so for all the work that I do, the three pillars that I always, I would say everything that I do falls into, because again, we're looking at emotional health. So culture is literally the energetic context within which your people work. So if you think about it, it's the air they're breathing while they're running your marathon, or like when I walk into your organization, what's the energetic force field that I feel, does it feel like Disney, right? Or does it feel like the DMV, right? <laughs> it's like, what, you know, and it might be one of those, like, neither. It feels like this. And it's like, great. It doesn't have to feel like Disney. But, right, there is that literally, does it does it fill up your energy bucket or does it drain it? And so the three pillars are that people feel like they're known as people, that you care about them as people, not just as workers, and that you know them. Um, and that they're known by their coworkers, that they matter, their contribution matters. If they go above and beyond, it matters. If they slack, it matters. And that they're included. There's that sense of belonging. There's that sense of um, shared identity and tribe and pride. Uh, and so everything that I, I teach, if you will, and suggest and recommend um, is within those three. And so just to give you an idea, one of the ways to get to really know your employees and do it in a way that is quick because you're running around trying to make ends meet and, you know, make a lot happen is, um, I call it, and it's so simple. It's called the temperature check. That's why I call it. So if you go to your employees and you say, Hey, how are you doing today? Most employees are going to give you the socially pat response of like, good, fine. Another day in paradise, <laughs> you know, L- that can be said in a lot of different tones, <laughs> live in the dream. Yeah. And so, and as the manager, supervisor, leader, you're like, great, I checked in with my people and you go on about your day. But the truth of the matter is you actually have no more information than when you ask the question. So the temperature check, you just simply say, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing today? Right. And then that person, maybe they say to you, oh, I'm a seven. You say, hey, what would make that a plus one? Right. And that gives you a chance for that person to say to you, oh, you know, what would really make it a plus one? And it could be personal. It could be professional, but you'll get a sense of where they're at. And what's even more beautiful is that you check in week, two weeks later, you say, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing today? 
and they say, oh, I'm a nine. You're like, oh, sweet. What happened between last time and this time? Like, what's going on? What's really positive? And of course, if you have someone who says a three, like, oh, let's, let's go sit down for a minute. Like, what's going on? Is there anything I can do to support you? And they might just say, man, my, my, my dog just died, right? It might not have anything to do with work, but it gets you a sense of kind of where they're at. And there's a bunch of, um, you know, again, in the book, and my book, Culture Works, How to Create Happiness in the Workplace, I've got tons of different what I call action Jacksons. And there are all these different ways to kind of have that known matter and included. And I'll give you one on the included side. So hopefully you share your financials with your team. And if you haven't heard or if you haven't read Jack Stack's book, um, The Great Game of Business, highly recommend it. He recommends a whole system on how to managed by the financials um, and talks it talks about open book management. I like to talk about open book sharing. It's a little bit easier. It's a little bit less complex, but I still think it's incre- incredibly powerful. So every year with my crew guys, I would get them together and I would go to the bank and I would get $101 bills and I'd have my flip chart, really low tech, right? And I'd say, okay, you guys, this is how the money comes into the organization. Everything would be based off a percentage. So I'd say, you know, we got 35% of our revenue comes through local moves. I've got 40% that's coming through long distance moves. I've got 15% that's coming through storage and then 10% that's coming through packing supplies, right? So they could see how the money is coming in. And I'd say, listen, you got to know packing supplies, huge margin. We pay 30 cents, we get $3 for a box, right? Screaming margin. Um, if we do a piano move, we're just barely breaking even, but it's a loss leader that helps for marketing because when that family decides they want to move, they're probably a good family for us to move if they've got a piano. And so I would explain kind of the different revenue streams, but what was more important, if you can imagine, right, I'm a crew guy. I don't have the financial background and, um, I'm thinking, okay, I'm making 12 bucks an hour. He's making 13 boss ladies charging a hundred holy mackerel, she's got a Ferrari, you know, back home that she's too embarrassed to bring to work because she's making so much money off of our blood, sweat and tears, right? So there's this reality where they, they've never run a business before. They're not thinking of everything that goes into that. So then I would break down our expenses and I would hand out the money and I'd be like, okay, you know, 5%, for example, and it was more than that, but let's say 5% was our marketing. So I'd hand out $5 and I'd be like, and you're our insurance and you're our um, repairs, our truck repairs. And I would go through all the different expenses doing the labor and payroll at the very end, which was always this huge chunk of cash because we all know, you know, payroll is not cheap. And it was always fun because the guy who got the, you know, $30, like he'd walk around waving in the air being like, that's right. Like, <laughs> so it was always kind of fun. But what was so cool is that they really got to see, wow, one, we get a big, huge chunk of the pie. We see where the rest of the pie goes. I would tell them of all these different expenses, here's where you can impact things. Here's where you can't. When you're asking for new uniforms, raises, new trucks, additional benefits, it has to come out of the profit. So let's talk about that. And um, every single time I would run these, uh, afterwards, the guys would come up with come up to me with new ideas on how to make, save, or even sometimes spend the money of the company. That's and they cool. felt included, right? There was mm-hmm. all, there was this sense of inclusion and it's, um, it's so easy and it's crazy powerful. And that every single time they come up to me with new ideas, every single time. And, 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 and how did you foster that too, right? They're making 12, they're making 13 bucks an hour. 
Mm-hmm. Um, was it just the fact that they understood how everything's work and they actually felt included and you were um, welcoming their ideas? They knew you were going to, whether you liked the acted on the idea or not, you were clearly created an environment where they they wanted to share with you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then how did you follow up with everybody? Because, I mean, this is actually brilliant. I love this idea. Well, yeah, I you know, um, I had one of my movers come up to me and be like, oh, my gosh, like, now I understand why it's more important, right? Like, you keep telling us, like, you guys, don't forget to sell the insurance. Like, if they're interested in insurance, like, you don't have to sell it, but make sure you offer it because if they want it, like, here's how it helps us. And he's like, now I really get how that fits in. And I had another mover who was like, oh, you know, we leave um, – I left a moving blanket on the job and I know that's 12 bucks and that's easily like two hours of our work because our profit margin was tiny. Right. Mm. And so he's like, so I went back out and I got the moving blanket and I brought it back. And it's just, you know, like part of you is thinking, well, there's the fuel of the truck and the time, but you're like, sweet, good job. <laughs> like, way to make it happen. But it's one of those where you then have them speak to the team about what idea they had because it's their idea and say, Hey, I want to really acknowledge you know, Mark came up with this great idea. Mark, why don't you share with the team what you're thinking? Right? So, th- so because that's their own leadership. That's ownership over their idea and wanting to partially get it seen it, you know, get it implemented. The other thing I'll say was really powerful from a financial standpoint is we had incredible transparency around um, how much money everyone made. Because it was very much based off of, okay, if you come in, you have no experience, you're not a driver, you're making this much. If you come in... You are a driver, you get this much more. If you have experience, you get this much more. And then each skill that you learn, right, and there was like a period of time between, you get this much more. And all of that is dependent upon that your character, like you don't get a raise if you're not someone that people don't want to work with, right? If if teams don't want us to put you on their crew, I don't care if you, you know, learn how to pack, load, lead, like you don't, you don't get that raise. So that was the other... Um, that transparency was key too. And I have a whole chapter around compensation conversations because while money is not one of the top eight factors in having employees feel good about coming to work, I can tell you that if employees think that their wage is not fair in comparison to their coworkers, you're going to have issues. Yeah. So, you know, everybody listening, who would love to work for a company that Chris is running? I mean, <laughs> right? So, you know, and here's what we'd all love to be part of, I think, right? Who, who would love to get up for work on Monday morning and you're actually excited to go to work because people know you, right? They, you, you know you matter. You're included in everything. I lo- those three pillars are phenomenal. And, and what you did, because I want to talk a little bit about your book, and you, can, you guys can go to Amazon. Uh, dot com. Just type in uh, Chris Besh, uh, B-O-E-S-C-H, or Culture Works. It's not only the book, but it's a whole workbook. Through, so people, they can either work with you or have you come in and speak, but also they can actually take this and work through it and all these action jacksons, because this is what John Lockhorse told me about, right? In these different areas, he said, these are phenomenal. They, you know, I, we're all about Everything that we do is how do we create tools and ingredients and recipes? We talk about kind of baking a leadership cake, right? But but the, the, what we're trying to do is you know teach people how to do things, not just give them theory or great ideas. And that is really something you have focused on. Um, so you know how do people even connect more with you? How do they find you? Learn more about what you're doing? You know where do, where do they uh, where do they go, Chris? 
Um, I would say, number one, feel free to go to our website, which is simply choosepeople.com. Um, sign up for our free weekly culture tip. That's just something we, we're constantly trying to give out good ideas and good content. And then, of course, the, the book just recently came out, and I'm super excited about it. And like you mentioned, there's a workbook aspect. And depending on kind of where you're at in your organization, if you really feel like you have a toxic culture, you might need more hand-holding from someone like John or myself or someone else. Um, but if you're like, no, Chris, we've got a good culture and we're pretty good at follow-through, we just need to know the concepts and the ideas, You then consider getting the book and the workbook for your management team and for your leadership team and work through it chapter by chapter and coming together and discussing. And we're actually put, launching a whole book club to go with it in January. But you don't have to have the book club. Literally, you could just do it within your own organization. So it's a great way. It's a great tool that if you're pretty good at being self-led, um, it, and it also is awesome for team building for your management team and leadership team if you need it as well. But that's that would be my recommendation. Well, and I think, you know, uh, the concept of book club, and I've introduced this to virtually all my clients, but if you can mm. have a management team reading a book, like let's say culture works and now, mm -hmm. and you're introducing some concepts and maybe they're in the, the pillar about no, and somebody leads a conversation. Hey, how well do we know each other? How well do we really know our people? What's something that, you know, this week we can do and we can all just, you don't have to take a ton of time in your weekly meetings. You got business to get done. But if you just take five or 10 minutes and maybe review what you learned and how you're going to apply it. And but guess what it does? It starts to lead to conversations and people are engaged and and uh, that can lead. I've had companies that leads to whole initiatives around this. And and that is such a great way to, to start. A, if, if you're a CEO and you really want to bring this in. Buy, buy culture works hand it to your team have everybody read it create a reading plan that's what i've always done for my team when i hand it say hey week one we're going to read this we're going to hold each other accountable here's why it's important it's good to do that mm -hmm. right because yep. this is what it can do for our organization people need this isn't just another task that the boss came up with some idea because he wants to focus on culture let's really talk about you know, where this fits into what we're all, you know, why the company exists and why we're what we're trying to accomplish in the lives of our customers and our employees. And, you know, you know, so make it, you know, it, it, people need to connect to that, I think, to be engaged. Right. But when you do that, going through a book like this can be incredibly powerful. And then you might get mm -hmm. to a point like you said, right? Like, wow, I've really hit some 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 roadblocks here. There's some things that are really holding us back from. You know, I can't get, none of us can get to a plus one. So maybe we need some right. help. We need somebody to come in and maybe lead a discussion or do some coaching. And that, that can be just a great way. You might not need coaching, but you might. So, right. yeah. Well, and John, can I just leave one last point? Can yeah, I just of course. put one more piece in there? And that is, um, and I think what, something you were just referring to, right? There's that foundational mission, vision, and values piece that's always key. But the other piece that I just want to say, you know, I talked about the financial return on investment. Mm. And one of the things I do want to speak to, especially with this community, is the emotional return on investment. And that is, you know, I, I once had a client where when I went to her and I said, yeah, the Choose People Culture Audit really measures, do your employees feel good about coming to work? And she said, you know, that's fascinating that that's the language that you choose or chose. And she, um, her eyes had gotten kind of big and she was looking at me and I said, why is that? And she said, well, because at my last place of work, 
there were literally days that I would rather get in an accident than arrive to work. Whoa. And it's just one of those, like, you just have to know that when you, when you create a place where people feel good about coming to work, they go home and they're better parents and they're better spouses and they're better citizens. Um, and it's not that every day at work is going to be fantastic and perfect. But again, if you can create that empowering context within which people can, you know, there's some self-actualization and they're providing you their absolute best work and their 2,000 hours that they're contributing to your company every single year, you know, of their lives. It's just, it really is powerful. It really is, um, I think, more meaningful than we're, than we're even aware of. Yeah, and you know, just a thought that popped into my head too. We work with a lot of nonprofit ministry leaders, Chris, and, and they, mm-hmm. they, they always kind of struggle with leading volunteers. But having the same level of, you know, kind of agreement, you know, understanding the culture, making people, you know, known, matter and included in that group, uh, as I've seen people, you know, put that in place in, you know, some organizations that have a, you know, a, a workforce that has a lot of volunteers is incredibly effective. So mm-hmm. what we're talking about here is not just for a company, it's for any organization. We define an organization as, you know, two or more people with a common purpose. So things like this in a family, do your kids feel known? Do they feel right. like they matter? Do they feel included in decisions, right? Or at least that their their opinion matters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're our wives, our husbands. So, um, it, man, this has been awesome. Just, you know, as we wrap up, Chris, just any final thoughts you'd like to leave everybody as they've, they've been listening to this? Um, I just, I'm really grateful to have gotten to be with you during this time. And, and I appreciate your community if they've gotten this far and <laughs> listening to the podcast. Thanks for staying with us. And um, I'm just always really grateful for the opportunity. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. Just earlier this year, Vicki told me while she was praying, she heard from me, to water the seeds. I knew exactly what it meant and got some business out of it. Another time she was praying and accurately described one of our dogs who turned out needed medical attention. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us, episodes four and 66 marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.